0: welcome back people this is keep it 111 uh, my name is andy and i'm always as always i'm joined by main man san yo good to talk to you dude how you been doing
1: i've been ma- i've
0: been good man
2: it's nice that's nice i mean
0: this is the last uh session of the the off season you know we're, yeah. we're gonna be back on the grind uh, uh in the coming weeks as uh everything's Like you said, uh, we were just talking about this. Everything is starting up. Yeah, it's starting back up. Basically, the only thing that's not going to start for a little bit longer, I guess, is basketball. Yep. But, you know, soccer starting, football starting.
1: got plenty of things. Baseball's going to,
0: yeah. Like, fall is always like an exciting time because, you know, baseball's postseason and then, you know, a lot of the other seasons are underway. So, fall is such a great time to watch sports. And so, uh, we're definitely going to be on the grind. But today, even it being the offseason, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, man. Uh, We have to talk about, A, right what's going on in the NFL, Deshaun Watson, um, and then B, also in the NFL, like you said. New season starting, and uh, we can talk a little bit about fantasy football. We're going to move on talk about, obviously, what happened in the MLB trade deadline. And I'm sure everybody already knows by now the big trade. Get our thoughts on it. And then we'll move on to the EPL because it's match week one this weekend. And actually, first match is actually tomorrow. Arsenal is playing uh,
1: Brighton, I believe. uh, Tomorrow. Uh, Yeah, I think that's.
0: And then then we're going to end off and talk about chess again. I mean, we say that it's not going to become a regular thing. But I mean, when we have important events come up, I mean, it's worth talking about. The chess world is
1: exciting, man.
0: It is exciting, and uh, there's definitely some drama, right, going on in, uh, in the uh, in the Chess Olympiad, and we'll get uh, more on that later. But let's first talk about the NFL, man. Let's get the elephant out of the room. What's going on with Deshaun Watson? He's been handed a six-game suspension for uh, many cases, to say the least, of you know sexual misconduct or the allegations with private masseuses.
2: Inside training camp. Uh, that's
0: all I know about it. I just know that, like, you know, the the arbitrator, right, is not, right, the, the main body of the NFL. They kind of outsourced that to a third party, and this is the decision that they came to, and it kind of seems like a decision that most people are not, you know, didn't expect, right? uh I was listening to uh Skip Bayless who said, or, or I don't know if it was Skip Bayless, but, Somebody said, right, Ezekiel Elliott for a, a, a sexual misconduct allegation of one on one count, right, got six games and which is basically means the equivalent punishment. And so, like, I guess on that ground, like, you know, not surprising that people are surprised. Right. I mean, what What are your thoughts, man?
2: Yes. Um,
1: so I, people are. Like, a little bit confused, I guess. Um, And it's because it it feels like, compared to the alleged, like, severity of the misconduct, um, that the punishment six-game suspension seems fairly mild. Um, Well, actually, maybe fairly is is a mischaracterization. Very mild um, punishment relative to, I think it was 24 or 25 different people, um, different masseuses who had come forward with allegations. Um, And so from that standpoint, yeah, it feels like a little weird because, so for instance, very recently, uh, Calvin Ridley, the receiver for the Falcons, he's out this entire season, the entire season, because he bet like fifteen hundred dollars on like basically his own team, like during the season. Um, so like he's out the entire season for that. Um, Ezekiel well, to, to the layperson, to the
0: layperson, like that is like it's hard for people to understand how big of an offense that yes, is i mean yes. not to say that like that's like a bigger crime than sexual assault of course not but i think it's important to provide the context that like you know i think that was also a deserved punishment you know and the things could be i don't know about you but i feel like it could be a mutually exclusive thing where both can be deserving of very big you know uh, uh penalties you know betting in sports and like you know dishonesty and like you know things being rigged like that's a very big like you know um uh, no no uh in terms of sports yeah if even that would just destroy the integrity right yep. of the nfl as a body so definitely like that's like that's that penalty to me is not shocking right but yeah yeah this
1: one is yeah and then the Ezekiel Elliott one, so that one was for domestic violence, if I believe, but it's also similar to the Deshaun Watson case where, like, he he was, like, never indicted with them and he was, like, he wasn't, like, convicted of a crime, I don't believe. Um, They're, like, allegations of violence, um, which, which is, a, I guess, a little different, right, substantively than what Deshaun Watson is going through, which is, like, sexual misconduct versus, like, like straight up domestic violence um against someone um and there have been like multiple cases in the nfl of like domestic violence if we like think back to like adrian peterson with his son tyree kill uh ray rice was a all was a really bad one where you like saw him like there was like video of him like beating like punching his girlfriend his wife i can't remember um who it was but um in any of those cases, anyway. Um, so, like, it's a little different. And so he got six games for that, Ezekiel Elliott did. Um, it's a little different because it's, like, a violence thing, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the bottom line here is that the NFL, Roger Goodell wasn't the one making the decision of we're going to give them X number of games, right? It, it went to, like, a a in, an independent—I'm going to put that in quotes— an independent judge. So it's this, in this case is actually a former like federal judge um, who decided that six games, according to all of the rules, according to uh, precedents and what has been done before that six games is the appropriate suspension time. Um, The weird like things like within that is that number one the CBA or like the collective bargaining agreement between the NFL players association and the NFL itself, like they agreed that, uh, that, that is how they're going to handle these kinds of situations. So this is an agreement between the players and the league that this is how they're going to handle it. So like from the player standpoint, like it's hard for them to like grovel about it because you agreed to the agreement. Like, to the collective bargaining agreement and like this was it this was part of that um people might see it like the public perception may be different obviously because of the pure number of allegations um against deshaun watson um it's just i don't remember the last time there were like 24 25 allegations against one player like it's it's kind of outrageous but Watson did also settle, like, the vast majority of the of those allegations as well, uh, which is why there are no, like, charges brought up against him. So, it, it's a weird, it's a weird case. It's a weird case where, like, I don't really know what to think of it. Like, it feels, it feels bad to me. It feels bad when I see it's only six games. But at the same time, it's like, I don't have any concrete evidence to say otherwise
0: it's and like with suspensions right like a lot of suspensions in like sports leagues in general the kind of evidence and like the due process that they operate off is just not like what you see in the justice system right and like you'll see settlements left and right and so there are no you know formal charges often brought against people but that doesn't stop right The from other leagues of handing down you know punishments based on preponderance of evidence right and so like this is kind of like the result of like you know let's try to apply a like a like a more formal due process where we can't just like you know uh make assumptions and things like that because that was i mean you know whether for for better or for worse that was kind of the process before right for not just football in general right uh, like it, whether it's like you know performance enhancing drugs like it's like it's never it's not the same kind of Like level of scrutiny or the level of evidence that has to be provided because it is a private uh, entity right like the sports leagues whether it's the mlb the nfl and so i guess like to me like the the result of using like a independent like you said arbitrator for this and getting an outcome like this is not really surprising to me but i guess like you know in terms of I do wonder, like, you know, what is the decision making that judged me? Because, like, I can't believe the precedent would lead her to make six games. I mean, I guess, like, it's. it's we haven't, un- we also haven't seen, like, like you said, like, this many individual counts before, which is, like, yeah. you know, kind of unheard of as well. But. And
1: it's at the end of the day, it's like, it, there weren't, like, no one proved anything, Is is what the problem is, is that, like, no one proved anything in a court of law or anything like that, right? Um, and so it's hard to like nail it down and be like, okay, this much has been proved, and therefore based on that, we're going to give you X number of games. Um, right. The other thing here is that that no one, not not many people are talking about. There, people, some people were talking about it earlier, but what not many people are talking about is that there's also this ruling um, in the NFL where the player's punishments have to be proportional to the owner's punishments for similar misconduct or uh, breaking of the rules, meaning that the owners are held to a higher degree of scrutiny than the players. And so what that translates to in terms of punishment is that any, if, if a player and an owner do the exact same thing, the exact same thing then the owner needs to get a more severe punishment than the player because the owner is held to a higher degree of scrutiny from the league that's like that that's part of the rules and so if you remember 2 years ago 3 years ago something like that there was uh there were allegations of like Robert Kraft going to that uh massage parlor in Florida near Trump's right. golf uh like resort thing um, and his punishment was, I'm pretty, if I remember correctly, his punishment was fairly soft.
2: Um,
1: I think if I remember correctly, like it was, um, yeah, it it, it was, it was, um, yeah, it, it was very soft. So like, all of this is to say that because there hasn't been like super serious um, suspension or punishment or whatever on an owner for similar conduct, it's also then makes it harder for you to give a serious kind of punishment to a player because the owners are supposed to be held to a higher degree of scrutiny and therefore needs to be given more severe punishment than the players and because the nfl has never given owners um any of their owners um a high level severity punishment for sexual misconduct or whatever then it's difficult then to give a um a severe punishment to the player because if they do if they do give a severe punishment to the player for this kind of sexual misconduct then the next time any of the owners are found um, guilty of any of that then they're going to get absolutely wrecked because because of the way that the rules are written
2: i mean it, it's it's
1: i i don't really understand what the concept is behind that like the owners i mean i mean hmm. it, it's the it's the idea that the players are playing in the in the league but they're at the end of the day they're employees of the owners and the league itself The league conceptually is a collection of owners who have mutually agreed to, and and, and agreed that it's in their best interest to come together to create this league of of professional football playing um, and this organization. And so as the owners who, they literally like own the league like as well, because if each owner did not own the individual teams, then a league like this would not exist, right? And so then the idea is then, because you're the owners, you're at the top of the organization. You need to be held um, at, at to a higher degree of scrutiny than anyone else. That's that's the concept.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, that- I guess from like from like a public perception. I guess from public perception point of view, like it's the players are the people that often get a lot more scrutiny. Right. Than exactly. They're in the spotlight. So, exactly. Right. I
1: mean,
0: I, I can see. Well, it, it, i see how the rationale makes sense yeah, but that's what it, it is seems also counterintuitive a little bit
1: but yeah yeah i, I mean is know.
0: there anything else that you wanted to talk about i um, mean the, the only and-
1: other thing here that's really weird is that deshaun watson's in and his uh lawyer's stance throughout this entire thing has been i didn't do anything wrong i'm not guilty i didn't do anything wrong that's been their entire stance of the entire thing. And then the Cleveland Browns come out on August 1st and they fucking tweet this thing and they say, oh my God, they say, we know Deshaun is remorseful. <laughs> Not this situation that's caused much harm. And it's just like, bro, like what's the story? Like, is he remorseful? Or is he is he standing strong that he didn't do anything wrong? Like, what is it? <laughs> I
0: mean we'll never know.
1: I guess we'll never know. Oh my god. I just it, I just thought that it, was hilarious.
0: This this the, the stories will forever be buried under the non-disclosure agreements that were signed.
1: Jesus Christ, man. Anyway, yeah, I just I just thought that was hilarious. Um <laughs> awkward. I mean, I mean the
0: I mean like the the Browns will sell it off as like a you know, like Deshaun is just remorseful about how the other people feel,
1: you know? Yeah, 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 that's, that's how they he's, worded it. He's basically. sorry that
0: they feel bad. Yeah, you know, yeah,
1: so. that's basically how they that's worded it. it. Yeah. Which is yeah. like, okay, well, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, if you're the Browns, like, the Browns are probably like, holy crap, we caught a break. I mean, six games.
1: Of course, uh, of course. And, like... To I- get
0: their star quarterback back for...
1: Well, so the saga isn't technically season? over. I believe that the NFL is going to appeal to get the full year. Uh, um, so we'll see. We'll
2: see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, see what, what, happens.
0: what happens. Um. All right, man. Yeah. Uh, new season starting. Uh, what do you got for us? Fantasy football.
1: Yeah. So obviously, as the new season ramps up here in in four weeks or so, in about a month or so, we um. We need to talk about fantasy football because everyone's going to be, everyone's going to be drafting here, um, soon. And so I think what I wanted to do is go kind of position by position once a week and do kind of a lay of the land, um, of what I, how I'm thinking about each position from a fantasy perspective, uh, this season, um, and so I'm starting today with quarterback because quarterback is easiest. There aren't as many players, right? As quarterbacks, you in most leagues you typically play with one quarterback, um, and the analysis here is pretty interesting. And it's I think it's most interesting is because uh, you like. I think a lot of people when they're drafting in fantasy football, they have like this idea of of what they want to do instead of like looking at the numbers and like really trying to understand like what is optimal. Um, And so that's what I kind of want to break down today. And so for the quarterbacks, I think it comes down to, okay. so number one, most people are playing in 10 or 12 if there's a lot 14 team leagues. But for the most part, the vast majority of fantasy football is played in 10 and 12 team leagues. Um, which is to say that, that each then league only needs 10 to 12 starting fantasy QBs. And so as long as you have a top 12 QB um, that is competitive, then, then you should be okay. But then the question is, the question is, how big is the difference between the number one fantasy QB and how many points they're giving you each week and the number 12 fantasy QB because conceptually if you think that there isn't going to be a wide gap between number one and number 12 then you shouldn't care when you draft your QB because you're going to get the number 12 QB whenever you draft them right it doesn't matter then um but if you believe that there is going to be a significant gap between 1 and 12, then you need to put some level of weight on when you draft your QB because it's going to matter um, in the grand scheme of things. So um, to break it down, if you look at like last season, for instance, and you compare the number one QB in terms of fancy points per game, um, who was Josh Allen, he had 24.6 points per game, which is a lot. Like. That 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 is uh, that's not the highest like there's ever been, but that is a lot of fantasy points per game. If you're if you're getting twenty five points a game from your QB, that that's kind of outrageous. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and then you get down to number twelve, who was Kirk Cousins for fantasy points per game last year, and he scored nineteen points per game. Um, and the thing is, like, it, it's a it's a little lucky because as soon as you drop off from Kirk Cousins, it drops to 17.8 points a game um, with Russell Wilson, which is a pretty wide gap because you just went from 24 to 19 within 12 spots. And then you dropped a point and a half in one spot between Kirk Cousins or Russell Wilson. Um, But as long as you're in a 12-man league, then statistically, you're likely to have a quarterback who scores at least 19 points a game, which is good. But, oops, but the problem is that the difference between that and the first QB is over five points per week, which can add up like five points in one position slot per week is a lot of points, especially when, you know, you're scoring a hundred points in a game or a hundred points in a week, let's say then uh, five points is, is 5% of your, of your total scorage. Um, and one player can kind of make that difference, can make that swing for you. So five points can be a lot between your your first quarterback and the 12th quarterback. So then the analysis becomes, okay, so it sounds like then I probably don't want the number 12 quarterback more likely than not. Um, because the point differential is is not super steep, but it's it's just steep enough. And there's also a a margin of error where like you could drop down into it being a seven point difference an eight point difference very quickly that you probably want to secure a quarterback um who is further up the rung so then the question becomes like when do you select the the quarterback like what is the optimal place um and so if you look at uh where most people are like drafting players this year um it's fairly common that QBs do not go in the first and second round. That's very, very common. If any QB goes, it's usually just one QB goes at the end of the second round, give or kick, something like that, um, which would be Josh Allen. And his ADP, which is his average draft position, is 25, um, which is exactly where I was saying it would be. It would be the end of the second or the very beginning of the third is exactly where that where he would be going. Um, so then the question is, the question is. Is it worth taking Josh Allen, who you believe is going to be the number one quarterback in fantasy football this year, at number 25? Or is the relative value for his position not large enough that it's worth taking a quarterback that early? So the question is okay, if I take Josh Allen at 25, then that means that I miss out on a running back or a wide receiver. In the similar range right and instead i have to pick a running back and wide receiver 10 spots further down the line so is it worth it so if you do the analysis actually to this year it makes it really easy because the the draft position differential between qb1 josh allen and qb2 patrick mahomes is exactly 10 spots um so the analysis is really easy it's okay what's the bigger point differential? Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, or I don't know if you're drafting a running back, Leonard Fournette versus David Montgomery. Um, And what that looks like positionally is you're comparing QB1, the drop-off from QB1 to QB2, versus the drop-off from RB14 to RB19 or 20 so you're either dropping five spots on your running back or wide receiver, or you're dropping one spot on your QB ranking. If you go back to what the point differential looks like for those relative positions, then if you look at the quarterbacks, the difference between one and two is um, one one to one and a half points a, a week, a week. Um, so that's the difference between having the first quarterback and the second quarterback. Um, compared to if you drop your running back five spots uh, around that range, around the RB, let's say 14, 15 to 20 range. Uh, Then we're talking somewhere around. So for for wide receiver, the point differential is very, very small, is very, very small. But for running back, the point differential becomes around two points or two and a half points. Right. So it's almost twice as much, right? As the differential between QB one and QB two. So um, if you are trying to draft a running back in that position, then it's the relative positional value. It suggests that you should p- pick the running back, not the QB in that position. Um, it's not worth taking the QB there because you're going to miss out on more points if you don't draft a running back there, than if you drafted a QB there, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: The, the running back is the running back is the most valuable right position. And and just a disclosure, I I don't really do the fantasy football thing. I mean, there was that <laughs> one year I tried, and then I get like I I, just, you know,
1: yeah. I did not. I think generally people see it as generically the most valuable because there aren't a lot of quality pieces after the first couple of rounds, right? So it's important that you secure your running back position in the first, like, few rounds. Okay, so then then the question becomes, okay, so I don't draft an early QB. So that's out of the question now because the relative value doesn't make sense. I should be drafting running backs and wide receivers and my tight end or whatever. Which then comes to the point, okay, so then when should I draft my QB? Um, So if you look at most fantasy football lineups, you see it's one QB, two running backs, two wide receivers, one tight end and one flex player, meaning that if you don't draft your QB at all and you try to fill out your starters without your QB, then you have to go at least six rounds because you need two running back, two wide receiver, one tight end, one flex. So you need to go at least six rounds. And then the earliest that you can pick your QB is the seventh round. So then the question is is it worth it is it worth it to wait until that long or should i use an opportunity earlier like in the 6th round or the 5th round in order to draft my QB so interestingly enough this year in the numbers if you look um an interesting thing happens where earlier in the draft the difference um, in relative positional value was that the running back's relative value was twice as valuable as a quarterback earlier in the draft. But once you get down to round six, it actually flips where the relative positional value of a quarterback is twice that of a running back. And the reason for that is not necessarily because the relative value of a quarterback increased. <laughs> but rather because the relative value of a running back decreases as you get further down to draft, meaning that if you get down to the sixth round or so, um, and so then at that point we're talking about guys like, oh boy, let's see here. I
0: mean, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. We're talking about like RB
1: 25.
0: Right. Like, yeah, like these are, these are running back guys that are not like, they don't, you know, they don't put up the kind of numbers, right. That you hear about in the same way, you know, steady you know just contributors right? exactly and
1: And the point here at that point you're 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 measuring
0: minuscule differences exactly
1: right that's exactly right so like the point here is that between rb25 and rb30 which is another five spot differential the differential is very minuscule it's like 0.1 points a game versus a qb is still one to one and a half points a game right And so it flips, wherein now it becomes more valuable relatively to take a quarterback in the fifth or sixth round compared to a running back or a wide receiver. So all this is to say, all this is to say that the sweet spot this season, it seems, is that you should draft a quarterback in the fifth or sixth round of your draft is kind of the sweet spot, meaning Okay, so then, like, what does that mean? Like, who should, we, who should we be targeting then? So, that means we should be targeting guys, like, who are going to be available around that range, who are going to be Lamar Jackson, if you're really lucky, and he falls to you in the fifth round. What? Yeah, if Wait, you're really so, lucky. So, what,
0: what, is, what is he on the rankings of the top 12? So Lamar. I Wright, would expect him to be a top four.
1: Lamar is going fourth out of all QBs, but that, that translates to 51st overall which would put him in the fifth round, like the top of the fifth round. So if he falls to you in the middle or the late fifth round, like you have no choice. You have to take Lamar Jackson because the relative value is so much greater relative to the other positions. Um, But then further down the line, there are guys like Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, who will also be in the mid to late fifth round, um, who are QB five and sixth. And then QB even down to QB seven, who's Jalen Hurts out of Philadelphia. Who Whoa. listen, 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 listen. I'm not saying that Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying that Jalen Hurts is a good player. I'm saying that Jalen Hurts is a good fantasy QB.
0: Well, can you break that down for me? Why? But because you're you're basically saying that he's he's he stuffs the stat sheet.
1: But how? How does he even do that? (laughs) It's because running is so valuable in fantasy football. I guess that makes sense. It's because running is so valuable. In that case, I would
0: expect Lamar Jackson to be number two after maybe Josh Allen.
1: Yes, maybe. But Lamar also has thrown a lot less um, typically than your other quarterbacks. Um, So, But Jalen... So, Jalen threw for more yards last year than Lamar, but had more rushing yards and a lot more rushing touchdowns than Lamar last year. In fact, Jalen finished mm-hmm. in the top six of fantasy points per game for a quarterback last year, beating out Aaron oh, Rodgers, right. Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow.
0: Jalen Hurts plays on a team that has no red, uh, red zone threats.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a uh,
1: that's a good point. That's true. So th- that's why Jalen Hurts is a great value pick around you know the sixth round or so, late sixth round or something, wherein, okay, you know that you're going getting relative positional value there because you're picking a quarterback, and he's going to be a valuable pick. Like you're taking him as the seventh QB when he finished sixth last year in fantasy points per game. And he has an improved offense and offensive line this year, so things are looking up. So, like any of those three, right, Ky- or any of those four that I mentioned—Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts—all going between fifty and seventy, right, in the fifth to seventh round range. That's your sweet spot right there in terms of taking a fantasy QB this season. Boom. So,
0: so, so let me let me like um, see if I've understood this correctly, right? So because. It almost seems like a like like a like an order of events, like in terms of like like the consequence of value depreciating as in a position as you go later down the draft, and it's almost like the it, we see we see a, we see a, a large decrease in the value of quarterbacks in the later rounds, but that also happens to be the time when quarterbacks will be drafted more often right and so between the 6th and 7th round might see a drop off for, for the qbs from what you might be picking as qb8 versus qb12 or something like that whereas with running backs maybe that big drop off right happened in the first round and so it's like like what came first the chicken or the egg right like is it because that you know we saw a lot more prospects being dr- uh, drafted in the first you know part of the draft that we see a less of a, you know, difference between the talent at the end of the draft? Or is it, you know, like, as in like, if, let's say that we randomize the draft to like something where, you know, we're pick, everybody's picking the positions at an equal frequency, and we know that doesn't happen. But in that case, will we still see the same effect?
1: Yeah, so I think it, it comes down to what I mentioned at the very beginning of what's the difference between QB1 and QB12? So I think I mentioned what what did I say? It was like five points between QB, QB1, points, yeah. QB1 and QB12. Like six yeah. Yeah, yeah. Running backs between QB or, or RB1 and RB12, the difference is almost 10 points. Uh. You see? Which makes it so much more valuable to make sure that you have a top running back in the first two rounds. Because otherwise you're going to see a big drop-off you know as soon even as you get to rb rb12 which is a still a starting rb1 in your league it's a 9 point differential between your running back and the running back of the guy who got the first running back every week every week is 9 points that they have on you that you have to make up somewhere else which is extremely difficult to do that's a lot of points so that's why like RBs fly off the board in the first two rounds because you you have to grab them you have to grab them.
2: You
0: have to grab them, but I can I, at the same time I can only imagine because I mean RBs get they get injured like none other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like
1: they do. Like, seasons are lost. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's also why. So. Uh, Something else has been happening lately as, so this was more true when there was a lot more standard scoring for fantasy football, but PPR leagues, which is points per reception league, meaning that for every reception that you get, whether or not you get points or, or whether or not you get yards, you get a point. You get one point scored for every catch that you get. And the reason that this exists is to help wide receivers get more value and become as valuable as running backs. Because in a standard scoring system where you don't get a point for just getting a reception, wide receivers were highly undervalued compared to running backs. But now, now that wide receivers are able to get a point for every single catch that they bring in, wide receivers can score as much as running backs now. And so it used to be like five years ago, it used to be that, If you didn't go running back, running back in rounds one and two, you were trolling like you were going to lose. It was almost a guaranteed loss for you. Nowadays, you can actually go wide receiver, running back. You can go running back, wide receiver. You can even go wide receiver, wide receiver, running back if you really, really wanted to. Because a similar thing is happening where the difference between Wide receiver 1 and wide receiver ten or 12, it's also 10 points. It's also 10 points, which makes, again, wide receivers also very important to draft early, which, is, which brings us all back to the point of you need your one running backs and your wide receivers before you get your QB.
2: that makes sense?
0: I, 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 th- I think that league sounds more fun because... It's a, it's a much more difficult task to balance your portfolio, so to speak, when not a single type of asset is clearly better than everything mm-hmm, else, mm-hmm. right? But we need to have some kind of competing benefits going
1: on between the different positions. The exactly. exactly.
0: Right, more challenging and, in my opinion, fun, right?
1: Exactly. And I didn't even get into tight ends, which I, I will at a later time, but like, that's a whole another thing. That's like a whole another thing. Oh, yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on.
0: Let's move on to the baseball. The baseball stuff. And, and I mean, I think it's, I cannot imagine a trade deadline that had, like, this kind of talent on the market. I mean, you don't see guys like Juan Soto yeah. being traded and dealt over trade deadlines. You see guys like Luis Castillo, who is like, like Luis Castillo, right? He's a... He's a top 15 pitcher, top 20 maybe, in the league. Like he's he's an he's an ace. Like he's he probably I think he would be like a number two option on a championship-winning team. Or he could be an ace on like a decent team, right? And he's like the clearly the best pitching talent that was dealt, and he was the most hype one. And it doesn't even compare to you know the value that juan soto brings like juan soto is one of those guys that you will most people will dump the farm for yeah they'll give yeah. up all of the prospects because yeah. especially in baseball where like you know a prospect that's like drafted really high doesn't really mean all that much i mean like even individ- like even proven talent is not forever in baseball right it's like like, one season, they can have it, and then the next, they will just look like crap. Whether that's caused by injuries, whether that's just, like, you know, um, it was just, like, it's just, like, a long, informed period yeah. that just comes to an end. Yeah, like, you can't predict, you know, uh, a sure thing, but when you have a proven talent like Juan Soto is it batting like could you imagine a guy like Mike Trout or Mookie Betts being dealt over the trade deadline like no, no because these guys are people that you know you run you run them till the end of your con- their contract because i mean that's how you're going to get the most value out of them and then they're kind of, they're the guys that will walk when they become uh unrestricted free agents and so the, what the Nationals got in return for Juan Soto was it seems like a lot right like they have they got some pretty good talents i think they got like this one uh this one young guy who's like like has really good like uh uh contact
1: they got four hit. guys didn't they
0: total oh there was one guy there was one of them like uh uh i um found that he was like uh he's like got really really good um uh ball to bat skills like mm. which is like that's a really good sign, right, for young people. Because, like, the power is, like, maybe, like, you can grow some muscle and then get that. But, like, the, 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 the bat to ball, like, that's a, that's a very uh, premium thing that you, you you like to see in talent. Like, you mm-hmm. know, defense, you can improve it. You know, power, you can improve it. Um, speed, you can't, but, like, you can get by without speed. But bat to ball is, like, that's, like, really, um, that's a really valuable skill to have. And so, so it's not like the Nationals didn't get bad talent because they did. But the thing is is no matter what they got in return for it, unless it is a guaranteed proven talent, I don't think you're they they were ever really going to walk away from this trade being the unanimous winners. Of course. And it just it, and so everybody expected and it is true that the Padres um won this trade. And and not only did they get Juan Soto, they get Josh Bell, mm-hmm. who was also one of the one of the guys that we were saying is like you know this he's also going to be a very hot uh target for a lot of teams who need left-handed uh, I think he switch actually uh switch hitting and he hits over 300 this year. I mean this is a good season for him but like he's having a great season. This is a team that is willing to sell right now and so Josh Bell was going to be also one of those very, you know, sought after targets. And then the Padres are able to get both him and uh, Juan Soto, and now they have a trio of batters Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, who has just been reassigned to. Yeah, have so on his way back, I mean, like back, he's, he's Goku in the hyperbolic time chamber before he goes out to fight <laughs> Frieza and Namek. like, Like, he's like just getting like recuperated right now in the machine, just like sleeping and just gaining power. And they still have Manny Machado, who is. Still having, you know, an almost you know MVP level season, and so they have, in my opinion, that trio right there is even better than what the Dodgers have. I know the Dodgers have Freddie Freeman, they have they have Mookie Betts, and they have Trey Turner. No, it's it's absolutely fearsome. But we're talking about Juan Soto, Juan Soto, who is arguably the best bat in the league right now.
1: Yep, best hitter but in the league.
0: And, and don't and don't let his, you know. 240 average fool you. I mean, first of all, you can just look at his on-base percentage. The dude walks like crazy. Yeah, like he is—he is a psychological weapon against pitching. Like just the way that he approaches, like you know, like his at-bats, like with all his antics and like all this like shuffling and like all this like annoying stuff that he does, and just the fact that people are choosing to bat around him, like in, in every way, like he makes your lineup instantly stronger and. They already had the pitching, right? They already had guys like Joe Musgrove, you know, pitching well. They had depth, and the pitching wasn't the problem. The San Diego Padres were struggling with the hitting. Yes, a lot of that had to do with Tatis being out, but also, you know, think like Jake Cronin works not having a great season like he did last year, uh, and Eric Hosmer just in general for a while, for quite some time now has been a little bit overrated, and... Uh And so this is a team that just needed to figure out the missing puzzle piece to their offense. And not only are they getting Soto, they're also getting Fernando Tatis. In my opinion, they have to be considered one of the top two favorites in the National League. I'm putting them above the Mets. I'm putting them above the Braves. I think they're they're probably under the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers are... They just have too much.
1: Right, right. But, but that's, the, that's the big question, though, right? Is that now they have they have a, co- a young core now, right? In Tati's and in Soto. Is that enough yeah. for them to perennially challenge the jo- Dodgers for the next 10 years going forward?
0: Well, here's the thing. Uh, the Padres will have Soto locked up for this year and next year. Yeah. Whether they decide to extend, is the ball is still in their court? And here's the thing, they it they don't need to. If they don't want to extend, and they don't have to, they can still they can still make a run this year because I'm sure they're thinking they're they're definitely win now mode. Yeah, and they're going to try to win because um Manny Machado is like you know in his prime. Um, they the the pitching as well is um uh, like the. It, they're not like uh i wouldn't consider the Padres like a young young team and of course like now Hosmer's gone so maybe that makes it a little bit better but they were always kind of like a like you know they assembled a strong squad and even last year i was thinking like this is a postseason team and of course it didn't work out but this year is they're in a win now mode and if things don't work out they can always trade juan soto to whatever literally team whoever
1: yeah there's
0: and you best believe if they if they try to uh, offload him this offseason or maybe the trend deadline next year, there are definitely gonna be suitors. And so the fact that they gave up the farm,
1: they could get it back. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for him, yeah. Because he's so young,
0: they, right? Yeah, they they, they, they they could just run they could just run this thing, yeah, see what happens this postseason yeah. and decide. Like maybe they even win the world series yeah. and they, I don't know. I don't know where where you take things from there. Do you want to like uh, keep them and try to get more? Or do you want to, are you going to say that like, Hey, I think Juan Soto is going to demand way too much money for our budget, which might be the case, right? Like Juan Soto, I think is going to demand like the kind of money that only the Dodgers and the Yankees can really cough up. Maybe the Red Sox, right. Or, or maybe, I don't know. Maybe the Phillies or something like that, but the Phillies already have like the Giants expensive. Yeah. I mean, the Giants have never really like splurged that kind of money. But they could. They're um, always they could, but I mean, they just never have. The Astros. I mean,
2: the Astros could do it. Yeah, the Astros maybe. could do it. Anyway, but anyway.
0: It, it's um, I, I could see the I can see like yeah like maybe the Mets doing it. The Mets have a lot of money too. So oh, in any true. case, it's like. Like the great, the great thing about the Padres is that, like, they just like there's no way that they come out of this losing. Yeah, yeah. Because like, every ball is in their court right now. They can do whatever they want. They have all the leverage. Yeah. When you have an, like, this is what happens when an asset is so good. You know, like the saying is that, like, you know, everything has a value, right? Yeah. But when the when the talent is this good, the value of it is so like you know it's just so high that like you cannot like you know conceive like like a proper deal. a lot of deal, a lot of teams like you know you can't put up a, like a sizable you know offer that could that people will actually think like you know wow this is like a this is actually a like a fair trade like right. everything's gonna seem make the this talent look like it's a it's a priceless asset so right. i mean if you're a Padres fan right now like you gotta be very very happy i mean The Padres are in such a good position that they took Eric Hosmer, and they're like, "We don't have space for you on this roster anymore," (laughs) and they just shipped him off to the Red Sox with prospects. Yeah. Like Eric Hosmer, this guy's a this guy's a Gold Glover. This guy's a former All Star. I mean, I think he's thirty now, so like he's past his prime. But this is a guy that, like, I'm sure a lot of teams, if it weren't for his big contract. He is definitely a major league level, like a caliber player and right. starter. Right. It's a contract problem, right? And, but it's that's how, like, good this Padres offense is all of a sudden overnight, you know, with the Tatis coming back, they're contenders. And so Hosmer to the Red Sox. The Red Sox, on the other hand, is like, I got to say something about the Red Sox because they're in a very tragic position. And I don't remember the last time I've seen a team that was record wise 500 or greater i mean despite how poorly they've played in the past you know couple weeks they're still in 500 like they're not like a horrible team like uh, in the grand scheme of the entire season but the crazy thing is despite them being right around 500 they're last place in the division like that is such a that's the cruel reality of playing in the AL East yeah <laughs> True. Five hundred team and you're the last place team. Yeah. And the thing about the Red Sox is that they just lost Chris Sale. Yep. yep. And again, and we all knew coming into the season, right, Chris Sale's like, you know, we need like the Red Sox, if they could hold the Ford until Chris Sale comes back, maybe they have a shot at the postseason again. And who knows what happens, right, with baseball postseason. But Chris Sale came back and he's gone again. So all of a sudden that Exacerbated by the fact that they have like you know Rafi Devers on on the uh, uh, on the IL, they they're just a lot of depth issues, and they had players playing out of position. Like it was a defensive shit show. Like everything about the Red Sox is just not a good position. And so I think if I think a lot of people were expecting Red Sox to be sellers, but you know bringing guys in like Tommy Pham, bringing guys in like you know Eric Hosmer, I mean. Like it's just a depressing thing to do. Like, yeah, they brought in Eric Hosmer, getting prospects as well, but it's just the Red Sox. Like, they're they're just in a very difficult position right now, um, and I don't think there's very little that they could have done that wouldn't like you know make it look like they're sacrificing something. Whether that's like if even if they sold, they would have looked like well, like you know there are there are three wildcard spots in the in the league this year. Like they could have tried to get talent and try to make a push to get in and you know what they probably have a chance um because the other teams that are are looking into it i mean the blue jays are probably getting in the mariners are getting in but i mean the 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 rays are still in reach and the rays in my opinion also didn't make any big changes so uh, but the red sox they decide to uh, their moves do not look inspiring um tommy fam and eric osmer are not going to really cut it um and so i think that yeah they're they're not going to get into the postseason but um Luis castillo right to the mariners yeah um on the other hand makes mariners i i think they are probably the safest bet outside of the blue jays as it stands in the standings to secure this wild card and then the last wild card you know maybe maybe it's the rays maybe it's the twins i mean you know we'll have to see right sure. um or maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's Cleveland, but the thing is, Cleveland also didn't make any moves that were inspiring. So, right. um, I don't know, like, there were some franchises that, I, if I were their fans, like, have been a little bit disappointed because this is a this is a season where three teams can make it into the postseason as with wild birds. and so now's like the now's the best era outside of the lockdown when they had like an interesting playoff format. But outside of that, this is the best time, this is a better time than ever to try to make pushes. And a lot of teams didn't do that despite being in the position to do so. Right. Um, I'll let the Indians, I think the Rays as well. And so it's a little bit, uh, I, I think it was an interesting deadline. And then I'm going to talk last. lastly about the Blue Jays, of course. Um, Blue Jays are one of those teams that, I think they, I think, played the script really well. And I think a lot of people think the Blue Jays had a mediocre deadline. And I understand where they're coming from. But I think, I think a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of the media and the analysts are still stuck in the ways of thinking about the old postseason format, needing to make aggressive moves because the competition is tight to get into the postseason. But at the end of the day, we all know that once you get to the postseason, everybody's got a puncher's chance to make it to the next round, right. and it's yep. very rare. You just have to get your lineup. If your lineup gets hot at the right time, you're good. You might be able to take down, you know, the best teams. The Red Sox made a very long run. They got to the ALCS last year. Nobody saw that. Right. The Braves won the World Series. Nobody saw that coming either. Yep. And, and, is, and in both cases, for both of those teams, is that they got hot at the right time, and it doesn't. All you need to do is just get into the postseason and see where the cards take you and see where the cards fall and see where that takes you. Right. And for the Blue Jays, it was all about keeping that core intact while picking up pieces where they can and without needing to shell out either prospects that mortgage your entire future or sacrifice something big or meaningful from your core. And so what did they do? They gave up. Max Castillo, who is, you know, a, a young pitcher who was showing some promise, 23 years old, getting big leaguers out, definitely was accruing value. And they said, I'm, we're going to decide to cash him in. He's, he's currently our number five star while we're having injury concerns. So whether this guy is going to be an important piece for this postseason or for the future, for that matter, remains to be seen. We're going to cash in on him. We're going to bring in Whit Merrifield." who is a, is a veteran guy. He's gotten, I think there was a season, like, not too long, he was, he was, he was an all-star, and uh, he I think he got over 200 hits in a season. Like, he was raking for the Royals, especially during a time when the Royals' lineup was very ugly. Like, um, yeah, we're talking about uh, the, the, the days after um, uh, we saw them make it into the World Series right now when we were in college. We saw them take down the blue. Chiefs. That those are the the Royals, like you know, when they were at uh they hit kind of a peak there, but then shortly after that, they they hit, hit a trough where a lot of their offensive talent and output was tanking. And but in that period of darkness, with Merrifield, right? This is this is a guy that is um just he was kind of a silver lining during that period for a lot of Royals fans. Put up all-star caliber season. Right now he's having a not so great season. Um, the only thing I don't like about the pickup is that bat. What we just already have plenty of, but you know, making additions, right? Like he's going to be an outfielder while George Springer is having injury issues, right? Um, that can slot in and you know, and and, and function as a band aid and as well as like a contributor for maybe even next year, right? So if, if for relatively, in my opinion, a very small. You know, payment for in the form of Max Castillo, who is a relatively unproven guy who just came in like in the last couple months, has only gotten a handful of starts under his belt where he has you know been serviceable, but that alone kind of accrued enough value for them to cash in on. And so, the Blue Jays are are kind of playing this game where they're saying that they they believe that with the core, without having to make significant sacrifices, they have a young core that will be able to make the playoffs perennial. Right. So that is like that is established and so from here on out our main goal is to make it to the playoffs every year. And that means that we do not need to, you know, mortgage the future, try to like, you know, sell the farm to, you know, get in talents like a Luis Castillo. They could have gone for Luis Castillo. You know, I think but and I think it would have been a knee-jerk reaction, right? To to this realization that like, oh, wait, the 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 free agent pitching that we splurged on in the summer, um, is not working out for us. Uh, or or, or, or sorry, the the free agents that we uh, splurged on in the uh in the offices are not panning out for us. And and that would have been a knee jerk reaction, but I think uh I think that I think needs to be the mantra of a lot of franchises moving forward in this you know playoff format where everybody's got you know. They, everybody's got a chance to roll the dice if they just put up like a decently competitive team. Uh, it doesn't take that much. And so, okay. in some sense, maybe you look at the teams like the Indians and say that, hey, they didn't spend a lot, but if they end up making the postseason, I mean, they're the, the, and let's say that they end up winning their game and they make it to the division series. I mean, like, they're the ultimate winners at the end of the day because they didn't have to give up anything. And then they also made the postseason. So, I think it's going to be interesting to see how things uh um uh, play out. Obviously, there are big winners. Padres, I mean, just by virtue of getting Soto, being the ultimate winners of the, I guess, the trade deadline. But <laughs> there are some teams that, you know, I think stayed put, and people are calling them out on it. But I mean, I wouldn't speak so soon because uh, this this postseason is, um, it's looking like there might be some teams that you know that didn't make a lot of moves at the deadline, but are still going to be you know. Uh, Limping into the playoffs, and they, they're going to be able to roll their dice, see where that see where that takes them. Right, right.
2: Lady. Yeah, it is. Uh, let's uh, talk about EPL, man. Well,
0: match week one, and I think I think people are now like slotting in their predictions of the top six. Let's first start off with that. Heading into the season, you have the, the big six teams. I mean, first of all, can we establish that we think yes. the big six are going to finish one to six? Yes. They, Is there anybody that. Would think, like, does West Ham have an outside shot? Like, I mean, there's
1: West Ham with an outside shot. There's. um... Newcastle. I mean, yeah, Newcastle a little bit. Um... I mean that's you that now. Really somehow, good. somehow, somehow Lester always has a shot, even though they shouldn't. Uh, I, I think
0: well, I think Lester is like the jury's still out because they're looking to potentially offload James Madison, right? So True.
1: But you just you just don't it, know with them. Definitely not, yeah. You just yeah, don't yeah. know with them. They they can just come out at any point. They still
0: have, they still have Fofana, they have they still have D
1: right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. They
0: have, you know, they have um, James Madison. They have an older Jamie Vardy, but probably can still banging at least ten goals, right? Right, uh,
1: right. I mean, probably yeah. Of those, probably the most interesting are just West Ham and and Newcastle. Um, Newcastle can... had an
0: insane finish to their last yeah, season, and, and
1: not only did Newcastle like ramp up in the in the second half of the season, but they got they're they're owned now by oil, right? oil yeah yeah so like
2: the saudis
1: yeah exactly this is they have a lot of money backing them um so they they made some moves some like modest moves in this off season in this transfer window i wouldn't be surprised if they make even more moves in the winter uh in the winter transfer window so we'll see we'll see
0: yeah, and I mean they're the guy. They're the team that's like primarily in the race for James Madison. And if they are able to land a guy like James Madison, that's like that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I, I mean, yeah, they're in the phase where like they need to find a way to convince players, like high quality players, that like guys like will be for real. Like just trust us and like join us. Yeah, right? it's
1: like <laughs> they're like I don't know. It, I think it's always weird for for teams outside the top 6 um it's like you have to commit i think you i think you have to commit like you, you have to take like one or two seasons and like really commit otherwise you just kind of end up out like like a, like a club like like everton or like you remember like middlesbrough from like years ago like they were up they used to be like mid table bolton used to be mid table like there are these clubs right, right, who used to always be up there but then like they just, like, they don't commit to, like, trying to really climb up. And so they end up all falling down. Like, the, the clubs that have been successful are, like, are City, Oil, which is why Newcastle's interesting, right? Because, like, if they really decide to go for it, they can City it up in, like, one season. Like, no one knows. No one knows. Um, and, and I would argue Tottenham also has been successful in, like, kind of, like, climbing up the rung. And establishing themselves in in that top six.
0: Well, and the beauty about Tottenham is is that they didn't do it with oil. Yeah, right. They right. did it with like, they did it with honest business, man.
1: They're Tottenham's like the one like outlier, right? In, in that case. Um, it was just a, it was just a very well managed team. Exactly, they're like if everything that Southampton had done had gone right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like
0: a team like like or like Everton like if all those like transfers that Everton splurge like Alex Iwobi and like you know and and uh, Decoré, like all these guys like panned out like this is what they could become
1: but like all of this is to say all this is to say that like for every Tottenham there are a lot of Everton's Middlesbrough's Southampton's whatever you know yeah, Sunderland's. Yeah, yeah like QPRs, all, all like Crystal Palaces. <laughs> okay. There, there's so many of them for one Tottenham. Right. Right. Anyway, um, but yeah, the I mean, the top six is is solid. Like, there's there's no doubt about that. Okay, but
0: it's so it's a matter of t- like, how is how are the teams going to be shuffled, right? So so, I mean, so what what do you have as your order? Is that really? A well, let's with, let's let's first start with
1: sixth place. Who are you going to say gets it as 6th? Listen, plus? listen, I hate it. I, be honest. I, I be hate honest. it. I hate it but it's us. I hate it but yeah. it's us. It's united. Like yeah, it, it, I, I agree. I don't I, think I don't united. think there's a very like I think the only question is between 3 and 4.
2: Uh, I think it's very clear. I, I think it's very clear that
1: it's well, Liverpool City at top. Well, well, well. We don't know who that is. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Like, but th- I, think, I, think, I, think, right, I think the right. three tiers are very clear. It's, it's Liverpool City. I disagree, man. You don't think... I what? I, don't,
0: I, th- I think three, four, and
1: five are all in one team. Three, four, and five? Yeah. Oh. Yep. Three,
0: three, four, and five are all in one That's team. That's
1: fascinating. I guess you have more faith in Jesus than I do. Um, they're kind of relied on Jesus. Like they, they, like Jesus has to be a top score for them. Otherwise, they're not gonna be. They're not gonna compete for number four. I think four. he will be.
0: I think he will be. I, I think,
1: and I think he has to stay gonna, healthy. He has to be healthy.
0: I think he's gonna. Ha- I think he has an outside shot for Golden Boots boot this year.
1: I also think so too. I think so too. But I'm not as confident, which is why I think that. Because, because okay, look at the teams above them. They're not so reliant on one player like Arsenal is. If Arsenal loses Jesus at any point during the season, they're done for top four. There's no chance. There's no one that's going to replace him on that team.
0: I mean, I mean, they still have you know Enketia like coming off the bench, right? And and, and like he's like a good young player. And Saka can score. Yeah, but it's not the uh, same
1: thing as like Tottenham having. Son, Kane, Richarlison, right? Oh, no, absolutely not. Uh, Which, like, if, but, you, uh, if uh, you lose uh, any of those three players, you still have another. Like, Chelsea has a myriad of forwards.
0: But I think, like, you know, like, Arsenal, like, depth is going to be the biggest issue. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I, think, I think with Arsenal, it's like, they have a really good goalkeeper. I like Ramsdale. Um, their their defense like they, they brought in Zinchenko who's gonna, who's gonna be like, good. definitely be an upgrade. Yeah. Right. And they have uh they still have Ben White. They have Tommy Asu who played well for them. Their back line is actually looking good and Gabrielle of course also had a really good last campaign. So their defensive line is also good. Um the only like you know potential like you know area I mean that I can think of is what you mentioned which is up front right? No. Jesus. And the thing with Jesus is that I think he's just a product of being in a really congested, star studded, deep Manchester city team. And the thing is, is whenever he has been employed to start in games, he's always kind of shown up. Yeah. And so I feel like he's one of those players that has been very, is held back for very long. Due to circumstances of him just playing alongside extremely good talent, having guys like Jack Grealish, you know, Raheem Sterling, you know, uh, like uh Riyadh Morris, like this is this these are like world-class players that he has to compete with. And he's getting regular playing time, despite that, for the team. And he is he has been contributing in his moments. And so he's going to play for a coach, right? Uh Mikel Arteta, who plays a similar brand of football to Pep Guardiola, albeit with hand-me-down lower quality pieces, but it's a familiar system for him. He's gonna have excellent service from guys like Odegaard and Saka and Martinelli and the way. And so the the team is structured for him to succeed. They're gonna put him in center forward where he likes to play. And and like it's basically up to him. And and this is like a this is a this is Uh, this is a breakout season for him to lose right now. And so I think uh, the situation is as good as it can be for Gabriel Jason. I expect a really good season from him and um, we'll see. Uh, But I I think for me, fifth is fifth is Arsenal, but I don't think it's going to be that clear.
1: I don't think so. I I think, I think it's, it's, it's possible definitely that the race is, is close, but I think if I'm tiering the teams, the range of possible outcomes for three and four for Chelsea and Tottenham is, is different than the range of possible outcomes for Arsenal. Because, because within Arsenal's range of possible outcomes, they can lose Jesus to injury and they're, they're completely fucked. While if you take out the best player on either Tottenham or Chelsea, you're not going to see the same level of, of uh detriment to the team. Which is why I think that puts them in a in a higher tier than Arsenal, because of the the, the potential consistency. Like if we were to run the season a hundred times, I'm like like I would put Chelsea, Tottenham in the top four like eighty percent of the time, while I would put Arsenal like Ten percent, like below them, like seventy percent of the time.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I can't see Arsenal like getting third.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure.
0: If Arsenal gets third, like it's like Mikel Arteta wins coach of the like manager of the year. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like that's the kind that's of thing sad, that getting, <laughs> right? But um, yeah, I can't see them getting third. But the thing is, like the question mark for me. So I have Arsenal fifth. I have Chelsea fourth, but I have Chelsea also potential chance to slip into fifth. And the reason I say mm. that is that they, unlike Arsenal, actually don't have a legitimate striker threat. They lost Lukaku, and so they're going to the have cap. a makeshift, like, kind of like like situation where they're going to be employing uh, Havertz. Um, Werner wants out, so I don't know if That's he's going to be. That's true. Werner wants go. out, yeah um so maybe they well so they had this kid armando, armando Broya, i think uh who played in southampton and he was southampton's like you know best player last year and he's just joining and um connor gallagher who was one of crystal palace's best players last year also returning from it. and so I think for Chelsea, I mean, you can you can talk all you want about bringing in Koulibaly, right? And you can talk all about bringing in Raheem Sterling, um, but I think the biggest, you know, impact low key is going to be bringing in guys like Conor Gallagher, and like they, they didn't even pay for it. It's like it, they all, it was always their asset that they just got in for free almost. Yeah, they just they just bolstered two very good pieces broya don't be surprised if he's getting regular time at the striker position because it's a position of need True. Uh, but True. the thing is is chelsea like last year was if you if if the season was 5 games longer i think spurs finished third chelsea was trending downwards and they only managed to finish 3 points above spurs at the end of the day and that was off an incomplete conte season right uh, they didn't have uh, Spurs, didn't have Conte for the entire season, and Spurs mean, in my opinion, bigger improvements. I mean, Koulibaly is the single best player that was added to either squad, but Spurs mean more improvements to the starting 11. And so, with all that considered, it's I think it's safe to say that uh, Chelsea will finish below Spurs. I think. I think Spurs is finishing third this year, Chelsea fourth, and Arsenal fifth. Um, Chelsea, for me though, we're gonna have to see because um, they lost a lot of pieces at the back. They brought in Koulibaly but they lost Rudy, They lost Zuma halfway through the season. They um, looks like they're bringing in Kukocorel, is gonna be a big improvement. But um, it's Chelsea got some, but they also lost quite a bit. So it's like I don't really know how to assess them. Um, they might come out a worse version of themselves than they were last year. For that I think. And so we'll have to see.
1: But Chelsea's a I I there's a chance that Arsenal finish fourth man. I just I just don't believe it. Like I like between all right between they they still have Pulisic. Like between Who might also be shipped that's off. true but between Havertz Pulisic Werner okay let's say Werner shipped off you forgot they brought they brought in Raheem Sterling too and Broya and then bachueye like i don't know between that that seems that seems better than anything that that collection seems better than arsenal's full collection of attacking players i mean you probably have a point but i think
0: jesus is going to end up scoring more goals than any player that's in, true no no i like, i I, th-
1: I think that too i think right. i think they don't have anyone who can match like one one on one they can't match jesus but, like, it, it, all, it all comes back to how many games is Jesus actually going to play? You know, how, how many games in, in the prem is he actually going to pay for, for Arsenal this year? Who knows? I don't know. If, if I were a betting man, I would guess less than 38 games.
2: Okay. All right, all right. So, so, who
0: do you have winning? So, so, do you have Chelsea uh, finishing fourth as well?
1: Or do uh, you have Chelsea finishing fifth? No, no. I have Chelsea fourth. Okay. And Tottenham third. But it's very... To me, it's very close between third and fourth. And it's it's largely I think fourth and
0: fifth is going to be closer. I think, I think fourth and fifth is going to be
1: closer. I right think third. logically, yeah. I think rationally, I think, yeah, probably. But... But... I just... I can't, I can't believe Tottenham until I fucking see it. Like, I, I, I just need to see it. I need to see it. Like, dude, it's, it, it's not the same Tottenham, man. This is. I it. know, I, totally I know, I know you. Top. I know, I know this in my head. I know this. I just, I just need to see it. Just, I just need to see it.
0: All right, all right. Uh, who do you have winning the league then? Liverpool or Man City? This, I think this is the hardest one, actually. For me, this is the hardest one. I think it's City.
2: I think, I think, like, it just, okay, let's just put it this way. Did he got Holland.
1: Liverpool lost Monet. Liverpool got uh, Darwin Nunes? Okay, no. Darwin Nunes is not the same thing as fucking Holland, dude. Holland is 86, 86 goals in 89 games.
2: That's Holland. I mean, City, City also
1: lost more than Liverpool. That's true. City did lose more than Liverpool. But it's not like they lost like their key pieces. I mean, Raheem Sterling is a
0: regular starter, no? Jesus they brought in Holland. It doesn't matter.
1: The they don't
2: need Sterling. I mean, we'll see. I don't, we'll, I, stay, we'll see. I actually, I'm actually putting Liverpool to win really Uh, season Yep.
1: you know let me give you an interesting tidbit (laughs) did you know in the last five seasons the only team not manchester city or liverpool who finished in the top two of the prem has been united and they did it wait
2: wait. in the last five
1: in the last five years I mean, In the I last can. five years, the only team who's finished top two, other than Liverpool and City, has been United, and they did it twice! How? How? <laughs> I, it doesn't make any sense!
0: I think that's before they spent all that money on Maguire, though.
1: We're so bad! I don't understand! Did they achieve
0: second place with Maguire starting point? I doubt it was when they had Maguire.
2: Now, now I have to go and look this. Not, now, I have to go and look this up. When did we sign McGuire?
1: Um, let me see. Oh my God! Now, now I have to look this up. Uh, three years ago. So that was three years ago. So third and their. Oh no!
2: They finished. So then we did. So then we did.
1: Yeah, so we have to
2: have. Wow. Crazy. He wasn't the captain,
1: though. That's the difference. Was it Pogba? Or was it De Gea? Uh,
2: It was Phil Jones? No, it was Harry Maguire.
1: It was Harry Maguire! Oh, it was. (laughs) That was Maguire. There you go. Wow.
0: He put some respect on his name. He led his team to a second place finish. No, fuck and now me. he's about to lead his team to well they're gonna have to fight for their lives
2: to get saved. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, man. <laughs> uh and, and
0: quick and just quickly, who do you think is relegated? I mean, I, I think I think Leeds is probably gonna get rele- relegated next season. Uh, Same. they lost Calvin Phillips, they lost Rafinha. It's like I, I, did, I think that's two a fair choice. Players.
1: I think that's a fair uh, choice. I think it's just going to be the same fucking teams over and over again.
2: It's Leeds. I mean, Bournemouth are like,
0: you know, full. I mean, two, usually, right? Like, it's like two of the teams that are promoted. Yeah. At least one of the teams that are promoted Yeah. automatically goes back down. <laughs> and then it's like, whether it's going to be two, it, it's always one or two. And then there's one that seems to stay up, which I think can be Nottingham Forest because, like, they actually have... They seem to do well in the domestic cup
1: competition, so... Um, about, Nottingham Forest might actually that be... Fulham's going up. back down, okay.
0: Yeah, Bournemouth, I think, is probably on their way back down. They didn't add any.
2: Which is so sad because, like, I'm a big fan of Scott. And, uh, like, I think he... Like, there's a clip of
0: him, like, managing, like, either Fulham or Portsmouth, like, giving a half-time talk, like, raw, uncut, <laughs> like, camera in the corner of the dressing room, and it's, like, the full, like, the full feel, and, like, honestly, after I saw that, I'm like, I'm, I'm a Scott Parker fan now. Like, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, definitely recommend. Um, But I think that's all there is to talk about EPL, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, tops. I think, you know, see what. So, so you have. So, ours is basically the same, except you have. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But after that, it's Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, and uh, Man United. Yep. Okay. I I think that's a pretty, like, safe, like thing. And I think some people are going to flip flop, you know, between first and second, just like we did. Yeah. Maybe flip flop between third and two. Yeah, yeah. But Arsenal and. Seem to be like the pretty common uh, pick for five and six
1: perspective. Yeah, I think so. I think. Uh, so. Let's
0: move on to um, the Olympiad, dude. Um, there are some very entertaining things that I've been seeing about uh, this Olympiad. I mean, let's first address the fact. Right. Well, for let's explain for. Yeah. Some what is the, the Olympiad? What,
1: what is the Olympiad?
0: The Olympiad is is chess's version of the World Cup or the Olympics the biggest international competition where they have, where each country uh, sends four or five representatives often the best players in, in, that are playing under their federation uh, to play in a tournament format where in every round there's a country uh, paired up with another country and, and there are four boards playing each other and you kind of count the points, right? So uh, count the the, win, the wins and the losses and the draws across all four boards, and then whoever gets the most points gets two match points. Or if the, if the four-board uh, matchup ends up 2-2, then it, they split the points, so they each get one point. And so they keep doing this 14 rounds until um, the team with the most Match points wins the gold medal, and then they give gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal, just like they do in the Olympics. Um, and the pairings are decided in a Swiss format, which is basically just winners, the people with the highest record cumulative at, and like, let's say, round six will play each other, and then, like, you know, after all the uh, match points are awarded at, at the end of round six, round seven. You know, the top of the leaderboard will play each other. The bottom of the will play each other, and then so on and so forth. They keep repeating that. The idea is that at the end of the day, by having the winners keep playing each other, the top uh, the top teams playing each other, you're gonna get to a point where you can definitively, hopefully, get to a point where you decide there is one final team standing that has the most match points more than any other team. Right? This is the this is the the uh, the thrust of you know the Swiss format and then how they employ this into the Olympiad. And so very important tournament. It only happens I believe every three years. And so and of course you know the world's best are playing. Um the notable thing about the Olympiad this is that China and Russia um often strong contenders. This uh Russia historically ever since like you know the Soviet era, but China more recently with uh, very strong grandmasters has been um a, a threat to medal in, in the late uh, in the more recent olympiads and so with them out of the race it's like it's like the two best teams are gone and so it's like for a team like the united states this is like gold medal or bust year for them golden opportunity not to and mention they that they have, have the
1: dream team yeah they have, they have the dream team they have they the dream have, team
0: they have, they have the dream team which consists of
1: three top 10 players. They have three top 10 players no.
0: playing board 1-2.
1: They have four top 10 players. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. Lenny and Dominguez is not. No, no, no. no. Lenny and Dominguez is not is American now.
0: But yeah, so Aronian, Wesley So, and Fabiano Caruana. Wait, is not
1: Naka not playing? Naka's not playing. Oh, that's what I missed. Naka declined. Oh, oh you're yeah, right, you're yeah, right. Naka's yeah. not playing. Yeah, that's right, that's right. In any case, okay, so like, yeah.
0: They have three top 10 players that's, in one team. And then, like, everyone else in the top 10, like, many of them aren't even playing. So the Russian, uh, Yana Pomniatchi, of course, not playing because Russia's not playing. Ding Li Ren, not playing because China's not playing. And MBL uh, for some reason, is not playing. And Ferruccio, for some reason, is not playing. I think there are only six top 10 players playing right now yep. in the Olympia. So chance? it's Anish Giri, Magnus Carlsen, the three Americans and I think Richard Rapport. Maybe, or something like that, right? Mommy and... Mamedyarov. Okay. Yeah. Mamedyarov's playing. I think I think Richard Rapport is playing as well. But in any case, there are six top 10 players playing in the Olympiad. Half of them are Americans. <laughs> okay? Like that's ridiculous. It's broken. And... <laughs> And the thing is, like, the U.S. is not first place right now, Armenia. But there's still half of the tournament together. So, you know, I think the Americans will still win. And, you know, Armenia can't stay up forever. Armenia is going to play the U.S. next. And it's not going to look good for them. But uh, the thing about um, the format is also that because it is, at the end of the day, this is as close as, like, chess will ever get to like a team game a team yeah, sport yeah. or like you know how they say in like you know in basketball or football or baseball, it's like you know one person can't win the win the for the entire team right you know like everybody's got to contribute and so a lot of times sometimes you'll see countries with their board one who is their strongest player extremely like capable and then you know the rest of the boards not good Be, just due to the consequence of the country not having like a deep talent pool right yep. and we saw this uh with norway who has the world champion magnus carlsen first seed in the individually the first seed he's he's a world chess champion the, the number one ranked player and he's in a team alongside some grandmasters who are like you know the thing is they're
2: professionals Listen, this team is good.
0: It's good. And, and given the circumstances, I don't. They have an outside shot to medal. I mean, before the whole tournament began, they probably had
1: an outside shot to medal. They, they were the three seed coming in. Were they actually? Yeah. No, this team is really good. I... Well,
0: I, they're probably the third seed by average rating. Yeah. But I think they're, they're actual, like, I think I estimate their chance not quite there because their their average rating is pulled up tremendously by having Magnus by Magnus. Carson
1: yeah, but I mean, but okay, but look at the other teams like beneath them. It would be Spain, Poland, Azerbaijan, Netherlands. Like none of these teams seem to be like they're definitely not certainly better than the Norway team. There maybe is an argument to be made, but none of those teams are certainly better than the Norway team. Certainly, no, but I would
0: give Spain... I would give Spain to um, at least a split.
1: Okay, yeah, Here's why. May, maybe I would give Spain a split, but that would still make Norway because the fourth best team. Yeah, so, like, I think they have a shot. They have a shot to medal, but they I don't think like, a
2: little, like, they They should almost definitely have a shot.
0: They have a shot, but I, I would... I definitely wouldn't think they're favorites to medal. That, even if, despite their third But I, opinion, I also,
1: in my opinion, too polarized. in my opinion, having Magnus at one gives you a significant advantage because you are almost guaranteed to have at least one win in every single round against the majority of the field. You know what I mean? Like, you're guaranteed to at least have one win. Where that's not always true for the rest of these teams. Like, other than maybe, like, U.S. and... That's probably it. Like, other than U.S. and, like...
0: Netherlands? Anish Giri?
1: Yeah, I guess maybe Netherlands. Although Anish isn't, like, really, like, an aggro player. Anyway. Azerbaijan? I,
0: like, I think Mamajaro like, could hold... Yeah,
1: yeah. So, like, maybe, like, other than, like, three other teams... Like no one else has that guarantee of like you're going to win. Like and, and Magnus is held to that. He's only drawn one game out of the five that he's played. Oh, like
0: and he's like playing like balls deep. Like yeah. he's playing like that. Exactly. Like, he's playing. He's like
1: crazy like, shit, like sidelines, like, side lines, like <laughs> stuff like bullshit you've never seen before. And he's like, oh, you're twenty four hundred? Fuck you, I'll wreck you.
0: The yeah, rate, it's uh... Yeah,
1: he's But I think what
0: I think we're realizing and people are hypothesizing that playing against Magnus is difficult, but so is playing with him because there is so much pressure to, like, you know, deliver. You
1: know what people have been saying? People have been saying that Norway would be better off if Magnus was just play a (laughs) (laughs) cyborg. That's so funny. (laughs) Which is, which is like, They've been playing so bad. Both Tari and, um, Love Big Hammer, Hammer. they've both been playing so bad. Like, they... Okay, can we talk about Ari and Tari for a moment? I don't understand this guy. Wait, both... No, no. Two guys. Tari and more than him... Okay, so Tari is very interesting because, like, there are tournaments, there are events where, like, he plays really, really well, and he's like... And it's like, oh my gosh, like... Has he finally like gotten over the hump? Because he's still relatively young. Like, although like maybe he's probably like past his age by this point. But like over the last like few years, he's been in that age where it's like, okay, like you need to have a breakout year to like really break out, break into like the top 40 players or the top 25 players, right? Um, like Faruja is dead or rapport or whoever
0: he should be a super
1: GM. He should be 2700. Yes, but he's, he somehow never, he never like does it like for some, I don't understand. No, but there's an even more egregious, there's an even more egregious culprit of doing this. Fucking okay, Jordan Van Forrest, this motherfucker, he goes to super GM tournament. she's like, I'm just going to win the tournament. I'm not even a super GM, but I'm gonna win the super GM tournament. And then he turns around and he's like, nah, but I'm gonna play like shit in all these other events. What the? I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, the thing with
0: with Van Forest is that I'm like, I'm a little bit more puzzled with Tar. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, just like. Really? I'm gonna like, I'm just gonna like, you know, probably say something a little bit inappropriate, but it probably has something to do with the fact that, like, you know, because here's the thing, like, they get, they get invited to a lot of top tournaments. Yeah, yeah. Like, the way that, like, Tari's, like, getting invited to all these tournaments, you'd think he's, like, Farouja or something.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: And, like, the fact of the matter is, and, like, Van Forrest to, to a certain degree, but, I mean, uh, we're talking about, like, Vaikon Zay, for example, where, like, that's his homeland, like, he should be invited to a
1: tournament. Yeah, yeah, He's a yeah, domestic yeah. talent. Like, I think, and and I he, he, any he won the lower titles, bracket, yeah. he won the lower tournament to get into the Super GM tournament. So yeah, like. yeah.
0: So, like, I think, I think, like, and, and I think he's, after winning it once, like, he, he's won the right to be invited for, I don't know, like, the next four or five times. Like, I wouldn't be mad about it. You know what I mean? Unless he's, like, busting out. I am mad. I'm molding. <laughs> well, all, all you have to remember, like, at the end of the day, this is his hometown. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, this like, this is his home. This is his stomping grounds. Like, we should, they should always have a someone from the Netherlands. I mean, yes, Geary, but if you have somebody like Van Forest, who's, like, you know, like flirting with twenty seven hundred, you should probably invite them to. But they both get invited to all these tournaments. Let's let's
1: face it. At the end of the day,
0: they're just like objectively more marketable faces for chess.
1: Yes, okay? it's a hundred percent true. No, this is a hundred percent why they get invited. I'm sorry. I'm not even. Go- no, actually, no. I'm not even going to apologize. I take that back. That's why they get invited. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. There are so many players. Like. Even younger players, right? Younger than them. Um, Who are better players, who are in better form, who could easily get
2: invited. I mean, that's my
0: advice to SC man. Like, just work out. (laughs) Just get fitter, Because SC like, he... He's got the tools. He's got the tools. Like he's got a he's got a clean shaven face. You know, like they're also to like a lot of and...
1: they're also young Americans who never get invited to this shit. Like Jeffrey Zhang, Sam Sevian. like they're 21 years old. They don't. Have you, have you seen them at a Super GM tournament? I haven't.
2: They're not marketable.
1: Maxudlu, yeah. whatever the Maxudlu. <laughs> Niall Sarin, yeah. <laughs> Has I mean, Sarin has to work a little yeah. bit more, but uh, yeah, sauron has got to get up there. But I mean,
0: uh, Gukesh is gonna start. Gukesh, up yeah. Oh, play, let's so. talk about
1: Gukesh. Let's talk about India team B. Jesus,
0: it's uh, they're just having a good run, and they're just having a good run. I think after the after the you know after the rest day that is today, they're gonna come back tomorrow, and then it's gonna be a like a total refresh. Uh, I don't see them. I mean they're India too for a reason, right? So you know they're not. Gonna...
1: They are, but dude, I, 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 I love this team. Like, I love, I love like the three youngins. Like, uh... but I, I think
0: Gukesh is like. I think like you know how like we were always like 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 wondering is it Pragananda? is it is it Saren you know, yeah
1: oh no it's freaking Gukesh like he he's like
0: he's like twenty seven twenty right now yeah
1: rating. yeah it's it's time for like. This is going to launch him into an invitation, right? To a Super GM event or something like that. And then we're going to see. He's going to get the same opportunity. See, but this is the difference. This is the difference. Gukesh, a guy like Gukesh has to come out into an event like this and fucking win every single fucking game in order to even be considered for an invitation. Kari is over here like, look at my face. (laughs) <laughs> he like he like played like shit in this event. he's like but but look at my face invitation <laughs> invitation invitation what the fuck
0: yeah it's a i mean it's it, the thing with chess and i don't blame him is that when you get marketable talents you you kind of have to capitalize because you don't get them very often i mean you're not gonna market guys like Shakriar. You're not gonna market guys like MBL, you know? Um it, it it says a lot when, you know. Well, I guess like the closest thing, I mean, that's why like I think what makes Magnus so special, right? Cause like he's kinda got like, you know, marketable, you know, looks.
1: Yeah. For I like guess.
0: being the best at chess.
1: I guess. You know? Like he's like tallish and like I mean, look at
0: look at his peers. I mean, Caruana, Dingley, Ren,
1: you know,
0: John. Like none of those guys are inspiring, uh, right, dude? A, but then we got the boy coming up. Rapport, baby. Oh, but Rapport was getting a lot of love, right? Uh, and like, with and, his, like with the drip, right?
1: But listen, he's twenty-seven fifty, and he's been there for a little while now. Like, he deserves to be up there, like.
0: Yeah, like I, I don't know like why like he is not like invited to so many tournaments. Like
1: I think he also of, I mean he's I think he turns down some invitations too.
0: Yeah, like he doesn't seem to be the guy that's like he does he doesn't seem to be like a guy like that's super in love and obsessed
1: with yes, chess. Yes, he's not. He's kind of, not, he's not, he's not. He he's he, like he has other interests, like he's not obsessed with like being the best at chess, um, which is kind of a shame, but like it is. oh yeah because
0: like he clearly like i mean the fact that he plays like all these like ridiculous openings and he's 2750 that's like i really wonder what like a proper like team of like people could cook up like at, at like a let's say like a even like a world championship match could you imagine a ritual report world championship match <laughs> that would
1: be like we're gonna we're gonna make the Nimzovich defense mainline. Like imagine imagine like if Rapport was as much of an asshole in chess as Farouja is. Like he would be top five. Probably. <laughs> Probably. I just had to stick that in there because I hate Farouja, but um like oh, it's okay.
0: Uh, man. I can't understand why like France didn't play MBL and Perugia though. Like they would have been they would have been favorites to medal. I'm,
1: I'm sure they asked. Absolutely. I'm sure they asked.
0: I mean, what is it? Is there board one like Bacrow now or something? Like
1: I don't even totally is Bacrow Bacro even playing?
0: Wow, Bacrow's not even yeah,
1: playing. Yeah, he's not even though, playing. their top boards twenty five fifty nine. Oh. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh my and, god. And but they're fifth.
2: God, it's not going to last, though. You don't
1: know. All right. Well, right. Let's talk about the outliers here. Like Uzbekistan in fourth.
0: Yeah, they're board one defeated Fabiano Caruana. Yeah, they're playing. He's, he's, well. a, they're, he's, a, he's, a, he's 2700, I think now. Yeah, they're overall.
1: They're playing well, dude. Like, yep. hey, yep. yep. they're like the entire team is playing well. Um, Other kind of surprises, like maybe Kazakhstan. In 11th here. Um, Peru in 13th. Peru has two IMs. Kazakhstan has. Yes. Kazakhstan has two IMs and an FM.
2: A 2000 rated player. Did you know that
0: Gary Kasparov. In the 90s. Won. Or maybe the 80s it was. He won the Olympiad gold. With Soviet Union team
2: that had a FIDE master. I believe.
0: And do you know who that Fide master was?
1: Wait, who was that? Vladimir Kramnik. Oh, I thought it was Spittler. I was going to get Spittler. I was going to get Spittler. I guess.
0: It turned out to be the young Vladimir Kramnik who would become the future world champion. And a legend. That team was insane, dude. That, that team's insane. Holy moly. Yeah. Um, That's nuts. I, I, before, before we sign off, I want to say one last. Because, um, so for, for the listeners, again, there's an open section for the NCAA where women and men can play um, dominated by men, such as, like, you know, the sport of uh, ch- uh, the, the, you know, the, the chess scene in general. But there is a women's section as well. Um, same rules, you know, of course, uh, women-only teams. And there is a game, and I want you to check this out, Zona. Right? I think I've seen it. If, there is,
1: if it's the one that you're thinking. A huge rating is differential? The no, no, no. I'm talking about the Seashell National. No, what's that? Or,
0: or, or Seychelles? Seychelles? Uh, it, it's a it's a small country in Africa with about hundred thousand pla- uh inhabitants. Nice and amount. and they have uh, their board one is a woman by the name of I think Mary Moustache. And moustache. Yes. <laughs> yes. But this is, like, but keep in mind, like, th- to give you context, like, this is how deep, like, you know, the Olympiad field is. They have, like, hun- over 150 countries, like, literally, like, countries like Seychelles, like, sending delegates. Like, there is really no bar. Like, you can have, like, you know, four teams, and you can send them over. Oh yeah. If yeah that's yeah, the yeah. best that you have, they can all compete. They're welcome oh, yeah. to do that. And so Seychelles sent a team. Yeah, where their board won their team. Yep, is a play. Who
2: over the over their fir- over her first five games made thirty
0: six moves total, averaged slightly over seven moves per game before resigning. Hell yeah! And <laughs> these games are—I kid you not. Hell yeah! Mustache. Like, oh, oh my gosh! Like, like. You could watch a YouTube video like for 30 minutes and you could probably play better than this. It's like, damn, like, it's like they were getting murdered out there. And I'm just like, this is like, I, I don't know. But I think, I think just to give people like an idea, like, you know, like with it's such an interesting thing that you don't really see at like the Olympics. You're not going to see like somebody running like a hundred and like 10 seconds just to have like the next person and like strolling in in 15 seconds you know what i mean (laughs) like you don't see that but in the chess version of the olympics i guess you do
1: and um i don't know listen on that note on that note andy i i think that there's a legitimate chance that if you just um train up a little bit you could you could play on the korean national team Uh, uh, their lowest maybe. rated player. Their, lo- their lowest rated player is eighteen twenty. Oh, maybe I could. Yeah, I think you could. I think you just you just do a little bit of training over the over these next couple of years, and uh, I think I think you could legitimately represent Korea at the Chess Olympiad.
0: <laughs> that would be so weird.
1: But uh, I think you should try. I'd probably have to
0: do military service first.
1: Oh uh, uh... no no no! no. <laughs> if you if you medal. No military service. <laughs> you met a whole bunch. <laughs> I'm, just uh, saying.
2: I'm just saying. All
0: right. it, 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 it's, it's a funny thought. But uh, in any case, uh, uh, thanks for listening to this sort of longer version of the off-season version of the Keep It 100 podcast. Uh, as always, Keep It 111.
1: See you next time.